Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Do Me a Favor. It is from the album Flat White Moon, and that is from the band Field Music. And obviously, um, I have a guest that is from the band Field Music, and that would be Peter Brewis of the two brothers. Um, that's a great album. If you, It's out on Memphis Industries. All links to... Um, Field music and how to get their stuff, buy their music is in the show notes, as well as they have a podcast called Field Music Cast, and uh, you can find that on all streaming uh, things like Apple and Spotify. And I'll put that. I, I'll do you. I'll do the legwork for you. I'll put the links to those things in the show notes, uh, so you could go buy the album and their other albums because they're great, and we talk about how great they are and. Um, the podcast is all in the show notes as well as their uh, social media, so you can look that up. As well, speaking of social media, my social media is in the show notes. You go to themattdwyer.com or conversations with Dwyer at Instagram, and that's a great way to learn about who's been on the show, who's coming on the show. And if you like field music and you're a first-time listener and you're here because of, of, of you're a fan, check out some of my past shows. I'm sure I've had guests on who are similar that you'd like. Uh, I had uh, Wayne Coyne recently, uh, Lou Barlow, just to name a couple right there off the top of my head that uh, couldn't think of anything because I'm recording this intro in my hot garage. And even though I have AC on, I don't want to, or I have an AC player in my little player unit in my little studio. I don't want to F up my sound with the sound of it. And I didn't cool off the room before. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Stupid stuff I'm sharing with you. This is a great episode. Um, Peter's a very funny guy, and I really greatly enjoyed talking to him. And if you if you if you like his face, if you've seen his face before, and you would rather spend the hour looking at his face, and and sadly my face, you could become a Patreon subscriber, and you could watch the video of this interview. And oftentimes my, there's bonus episodes, or, well, there are bonus episodes on my Patreon, but bonus information, content, boy, oh boy, the brain isn't working well today. There's bonus content on the uh, Patreon as well. Uh, Sometimes my episodes are two-parters. The second part will solely live on Patreon. You get a pin, and you get to message me, and there's a podcast I do where I talk to comedians about the their life, the music that's influenced their life. That is solely lives on Patreon. I'm trying to do a lot with my Patreon, so become a subscriber to help support the show. And if you can't, just tell your friends about the show. That's always a great way to help me out if you like me. And if you do like me, that would make one of us. Um, so that being said, I think I covered everything. Just, uh, again, buy music, support artists, even when there isn't the pandemic, buy music because uh, streaming sucks. That is all. Uh, Again, please enjoy this episode with Peter Brewis of Field Music. Thank you. Do me a favor. You all need you. Do you have kids? I've got one. I've got one who's um, eight. How is, yeah, he's, he's he's okay actually. He's 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 um he's fine. He's just really into uh. Dad, can we have a wrestling match? Can we have, <laughs> can we have a, bar- a karate tournament? 
And uh, yeah, it's just stuff like that. So I kind of, I've got a bad back and sort of, yeah, bruised all over the place, scratches on my head. And he's pretty, yeah, he's, he's kind of getting pretty physical, which is, you know, useful, useful in England now. Oh, yeah. What's go, why, why, what's going on? That's, he needs to. I mean, we just kind of, I mean, yeah, you never know around, well, the northeast of England can, can get a bit. <laughs> physical yeah i was looking at the town you're from and and i was wondering if it was like very because it's a port town right yeah yeah is it well uh, it should be (laughs) should be more of a port town there's a port here it's just it's not really very busy but it it is a port town yeah but you was it used did it used to be busy yeah i mean back a long time ago it was a big sort of shipbuilding um, you know, it's, it's right. The city's it's moved away from the from the main like mouth of the of the weir. Um, but it, it used to be a very you know it was shipbuilding and 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 there was a, a coal mine right on the banks of the weir as well that went right right out to sea. So, um, but now it's kind of more of a what sort of a town is this? It's a post industrial town. Yeah, I mean that's been a big. You know, a lot of our post-industrial towns are just wastelands now. Did it go that route, or did they find other ways to uh, survive? Uh, where, where are you again? Well, I'm outside Los Angeles, but I grew up in Chicago. But, you know, there's a lot of, like, Detroit. I had a lot of friends from Detroit that was just, you know, I mean, it's devastating. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's quite... Uh, I've never been to Detroit, or I think I might have, like, passed through, but um, I know David has... Um, but I don't think it's quite. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's quite. Maybe as as, as bad as that. You know, I think there's. It, it's more a kind of. Um, yeah, how would you, how would you put it? This it's kind of like. Um, I feel like there's a kind of a, like a managed decline going on, in certain towns like this, where it's like, the government sort of says, "Well, there's nothing really that we can do. We can just kind of manage it." going down but it sounds like with detroit they didn't really manage it no they don't give a shit <laughs> i didn't want to say that but yeah that's what it sounded like to me yeah america just our politicians just overall just don't really give a shit <laughs> they've got to be concerned about other things you know like celebrity statuses and and poor joe now you know poor old uh what is what is donald trump called sleepy joe has to worry about sort of uh <laughs> yeah it's uh I mean, it's great to go to the supermarket and uh, as you're looking for the canned corn, wonder also where the safest exit might be in case some guy comes in with a gun. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't imagine that. I mean, that just seems Does, preposterous. Yeah. Do you look at us and just be like, "What the fuck is your problem?" I, I think. Yeah. I mean, I kind of. I'll, I'll probably look at myself in the mirror and say that more. <laughs> about America. Um, I do think that as well you know I do think but you know it's like I, I, I know loads of you guys you know and it's like everybody who I've met has just been great so you know it, like literally like every single American person I've ever met I'm just like wow you you, 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 you seem you seem great you know what's a, but I think that's the privilege of sort of doing music and, and being involved in that sort of thing and you know I don't get them to meet many, many other types. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a baffling country, and it's. You know, we have so many great things, but also it's like we don't have healthcare and those things that take. We don't mm. take care of people. It's just. It's really, and our unhoused issue is just out of control. Is, is it really? Yeah, especially in California, and it's just they don't. They also just don't do anything about it it's kind of wild this has gotten way off the point of me asking <laughs> if you could, I was like, I was like working towards like because I noticed like when reading about you, you got you seem to have like a working class ethic and I was curious if that is if that you if you and your brother have a working sort of come from working class family yeah I mean we, we come from a what we what we probably say is uh, yeah I don't even know whether we're working class anymore because in a way we can kind of um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel it. I feel it's more complicated than that now. But I mean, we would. I think we would say we came from a working class background. You know, our, our parents were both really hard workers, and I think they were of that generation that didn't, whose parents didn't have that much. You know, had to deal with the the war and rationing, and you know, the kind of the mess that Europe was in, and then they were taught those kind of values of working hard, trying your best, being the best best you can be. But also at the same time, it was like, well, also you've got the Beatles and the Stones and you've got the kind of the, the cultural and sexual revolution going on. That was the 60s. So they grew up with that as well. And I think they passed on some of the sense of work ethic to me and David, I think. You know, I, th- I think we, you know, we work fairly hard but not nowhere near as much as people with like real jobs nowhere near you know because it's not like it's not like so what are you, what are you doing at work today it's like well i'm gonna try and replicate a jimmy page riff what what are you gonna to do today it's like well i've got to, i've got to go and like bottle some you know then it's like oh okay shit um but yeah so i think because of that privilege i think our parents made us understand that we were, were in a privileged position. So if, if you're in that position, then, you know, don't abuse it too much, you know, um, just kind of work as hard as you can at doing the things that, 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 that you do. Um, but also along, along with that, don't forget a rock out kids. Cause remember we came from the sixties. So <laughs> just go with it, man. Peace and love. <laughs> you know, we're of the Ringo generation. You know, did were they actively? Because my parents were sort of in that same generation, but they sort of yeah. men- mentally stayed in the fifties, which was not. Though I did find weed in their in their bedroom, which they yeah. still deny to this day. <laughs> God, I hope you call the cops. <laughs> my parents. Did, I would. I would have done it. No, they. No, did, my my parents. My, yeah. They were what. My, my parents, at least so far as I can tell, didn't really get involved with that that that, that side of things. Really, although do you know what, they would never they just never have told me. Um, but I think my mother, in particular, because of her um, because of her, her politics and the job that she did, you know, she was a member of the Labour Party. She was a youth worker. Um, so because of that, I think she stayed sort of fairly young. So she kind of grew up. Um, I think the first record that are, you know, the earliest record that I think she's got, for instance, I think is, I think it's maybe the Freewheeling by Bob Dylan, or it might have, um, it, it's, it's one of the early, early Dylan records, or it might, it might have actually just been the first Dylan's greatest hits. Um, and then she, she kept buying records all the way up to, I think the last record I, I really remember her buying and enjoying was that was the, the Gwen Stefani one that were kind of was produced by I think I had yeah like Timberland and the Neptunes I think were involved in, in some way maybe um, but yeah so because because she was a youth worker she wanted to just like stay with it you know <laughs> that's pretty uh, yeah I mean my mom just, just listens to Barry Manilow and Rod Stewart doing the uh, standards that's she doesn't even like. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he like them their, their modern stuff? Yeah. <laughs> well, really went downhill in nineteen seventy two. Did 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 your mother's music curiosity have an influence on you and your brother? Oh yeah, without a doubt. With without a doubt. I mean, if it wasn't for my 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 parents and my my mother in particular, we would just not have done music. There's no doubt about it. I'd. Yeah. I'd uh, no doubt about that. I, I just, I'm curious because I have four older brothers and I have like to, to do anything with my brothers other than get the shit kicked out of me is, is bad. <laughs> still. <laughs> still, no, I just, there's a reason I live 2000 miles away from them now. It's like, uh, it's not big. There's, if there's a wedding or something, there's somebody's going to get in fight over like union rights or it's, 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 but I was curious, like, how did the germ of you two st- start working together happen? Because that's, I, I don't know, that's fascinating to me when that, how bands come together in general, but then when it's siblings, even if it's like a comedy team, like the Smothers Brothers, I'm like, how did you two 
work towards that? Um, I mean, I, I feel it was just kind of always there since since day one. You know, we kind of, um, you know, we we sang songs together in my, in my mom's car. You know, so we kind of we, you know, my mom would have a her Ford Fiesta and we it should have a compilation tapes on and it would be like okay we're gonna let's we just sing along with like 10 cc or we sing along with the police or level 42 and um or then it might she might have a rock compilation and it might be zz top remember afterburner was a big one in our house <laughs> <laughs> so we and we'd sing the guitar solos and stuff like that even like trying to do the pinched harmonics and you know that sort of billy gibbons mad stuff and um so yeah, I think we always, you know, and we like made up like that songs together. Um, I think we did a kind of, it's when I think about it now, there was a song that we did called What's the Pie Doing in the Sky? And it had a kind of like a UB40 sort of lover, lover's rock sort of like lilt to it so, so far as I can remember. Um, needless to say, we, ne- we never recorded it. <laughs> any, maybe any plans in the future? Uh, you know, when we run out of ideas, some people would say we already have, uh, <laughs> we might revisit that one. Um, but I mean, we always played, we, we always would say like, oh, let's make a film. We didn't really, you know, let's make a film and we'd, we'd make a film of the A-team or something like that. Even though there was no cameras involved, we would just act, you know, just jumping around on beds. But it was, it wasn't, it was making a film. If you know what I mean? We were like... Yeah, we were like in a, in a film. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you tend to be in, in out of the A team? Who did you like to play? I, I think I liked the idea that I would be face, but I think I ended up being Murdoch more often than not. <laughs> I uh, walked into a grocery store a while ago, like a couple of years ago, and went up the escalator, and Mister T was at the top of the escalator, and it was, oh, and he he knew that it clicked in my head that I was like. I must have like done that. And he was like, Hey, and he had like toys that he brought with him in his cart that he autographed and would hand out to people. It was crazy. Wow. And then, you, and I said, like, I was like, Oh man, I wish my daughter was here just so I could get a. And he was like, so he's like, Oh, here, take some toys for her. It was great. And he was just like, it's like one of those guys, when you meet, you're like, so much presence you're like of course you are a huge star like there's just like the dude glowed it was crazy yeah i mean nobody looked like him nobody talked like him acted like him dressed like him just total individual amazing (laughs) and you know that my favorite bit in all of the a team was where he was a massive boy george fan i don't remember that Oh yeah, there's there's an episode where Boy George is is in the A team, and I, I don't I can't even remember why, but and um, you know BA turns out to be a massive Boy George fan. <laughs> He's like really starstruck. You <laughs> think do you know what that that kind of makes sense in a way the gla- the glamour you know and the kind of like the outward sort of presentation of yourself. It's like yeah. Did he could have been in Culture Club, Mr. T. Easy. It's not too late. It's it might not be. There might be there might be a role to fill. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the band are at. <laughs> Did oh they could get Boy George in the A team. Yeah, I was thinking about it the other day of like how ahead of time Boy George was. Like, oh, uh, it was. I mean. Yeah, it's it, it it it's it's crazy, really. And he was he was um, there was a documentary on about him on um, I think it was I think it was on BBC Four, our kind one of our arts channels here, and uh, he was just so funny and so um, open. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'd I'd forgotten about how how kind of brilliant brilliant he was. I mean, we grew up with him. You know, we watched him on Top of the Pops, and in a way, he was just another crazy pop star and we didn't really he, he was there from when we were we were we, we were very young so it didn't seem that different really at the time it was like okay yeah so you've got 
Um, Phil Ogie out of the Human League, he's kind of he's a bit different, isn't he? And Shaken Stevens is a bit different, even though he's just a 50s throwback. And then you've got um, Boy George, he, he's a bit different, and B.A. Barakas is a bit different. You know, it's like they were just... And he was just another out there person, but 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 his, his actual story is like is, is is amazing, and how kind of um, brave he had to be and courageous, um, which is the, the same thing. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's coming from like a working class neighborhood in town. It was I, I didn't get it. Like it to me, I was just like, oh yeah. Like I just I think accepted it because I was a young person. It d- didn't, but like my brothers and people in the neighborhood would, you know, say things about a guy in a dress. And I I just, I didn't get it, but it was like, so no one was really doing that. And like, just so like, here I am. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And yeah. And I wonder whether, um, how much things have improved since then? I hope I hope they've improved a, a, a lot more for you know for someone who decides to put themselves out, out out there like that. And um, it makes me feel like I should I should be less boring. <laughs> I don't think you guys are boring at all, or you specifically. Oh, well, let's see how you feel at the end of this conversation. <laughs> you mentioned tops of the pops, and I've I've heard you speak about that in other. Uh, interviews and stuff and i was like wondering because it was and you don't see shows like that as much anymore where it's just a mishmash of different genres and like here it all is and i was curious of how much of an influence that had on on your musical growth and just like hearing like i think you were talking about like you would have rap and like pop and all these different genres in one show which is too bad that doesn't get intermingled like that as much anymore yeah i mean i think that i think that was a a massive influence for us, you know, and Top of the Pops was very much about whoever sold the most records gets on Top of the Pops. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of it really. Um, so our era of what watching that would have been sort of, I would have said for me, 1981 till, I mean, I, I watched it. Yeah. Maybe until it, it finished really. Um, or maybe when I started kind of getting into, you know, my, when I started ignoring the charts, um, which might have been like the end of the nineties, and I just I ceased to care. But then again, some things would would come out. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a real mish, mishmash, right right from um, they, they've all been anyway. What I should say is they've all been repeated um, on again on BBC Four. So I've been watching Top of the Pops from I think like from 1979, like the 1979 um, episodes, maybe up to, and currently they're up to 1990. And it is just, it, there's all sorts of stuff, you know, you could get, you know, a kind of a, um, like kind of comedy songs along with, yeah, he- heavy metal. Um, Ian Gillen Band was on once, and I just thought, why is Ian, Ian Gillen Band on top of the pops? He must have sold a lot of records. As simple as that. Then you get like, yeah, 50, 50s throwbacks and um, sort of, you know, you watch dance music kind of develop and how how to how do you, how do you present a dance record on a like a kind of a music TV show? Quite quite a strange thing to do. I think they really struggle with that on top of the pops. <laughs> So how do you? There's so there's no drummer, no no guitar player, there's no singer, no. What is that? That's just some guy on a, on a computer. <laughs> so we're just going to film a Fairlight, which is basically yeah, like you know, a keyboard with a telly sat on top. And that you know, one of those ones, the Pet Shop Boys, was a Christmas number one. You know, he is a kind of a guy in his mid thirties singing a. An old, um, oh, who wrote, uh, you will always, you were always on my mind, you know. Oh, um, Willie Nelson? Willie Nelson, that's who wrote it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, they got a Christmas number one. And basically it's a guy in a, a 30-odd-year-old old guy in a suit, gray hair, 
he's not the best singer in the world, Neil Tennant. Um, and then there's a guy with a yeah keyboard with a telly perched on top and Christmas number one. <laughs> can't get more festive than that. <laughs> and that was number one when the Pogs and Kirsty McCall were at number two with Fairy Tale of New York. Both classics. Uh, <laughs> what you said you stopped paying attention to uh, to the charts was that what was was there a specific reason to that? I think it's just when I kind of got into the idea of, of whatever was a, a, a alternative and you could kind of, um, yeah, get into a, into a different, into a different world. And I think, I think we were, we were lucky. The enemy was really good at that time. So me and David used to read the enemy and in the late nineties, they were really, and I think there might've been a few labels, Domino, especially were kind of, licensing stuff by um you know like a lot of like the, the chicago bands you know um like tortoise jim o'rourke and then there was this stuff um you know the kind of more um new york based uh new york state based but like mercury rev and then you had the flaming lips and and i mean i think beck was a big one for me as well um although beck was like really popular as well um, when Old Lake came out, but then I kind of kept following what what Beck Beck was up to. So it was all, it was kind of all American stuff, yeah. and I think I kind of got sick of the kind of um, the post Britpop world in in the in the late nineties. So I kind of I, I kind of lost touch with kind of British music. Right, God, it's wild. Tortoise lately in my interviews, Tortoise keeps coming up, and it's like. I, right. I think maybe I took it for granted a little bit because I was in Chicago when they were happening. So it was just like, I didn't know if it was local band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like you, when you're around it, you were, I guess you don't think about it as much, but it's like so many people have brought them up recently. And I'm like, I need, I feel like I need to re educate myself and go down that. What, what about them spoke to you, to you specifically? Was there anything? I think they were just an, like an, one of those bands that kind of, um, mixed up mixed up their influences in a in a in a kind of just a unique way um and i think that's what me and dave were trying to to do to say how can we um how can we make a kind of a sort of music that's a kind of a, um you know a montage of of the things that we like and how can we make something new out of it while while doing that, and I feel like Tortoise did that. I feel like they kind of because they they've got that kind of jazz thing, they've got a folk thing going on, they've got an electronica thing, and they've got a punk thing. And I don't I don't know. You know, I've I've talked to a few of the guys briefly before, and I just I just think what what they made was like a unique thing that was greater than the sum of its parts, and the sum of its parts was so disparate as well. I was just like, wow. If they can do it, it's possible, and other people can do it. You know, they, they, in in a way, they were like they like the Beatles. You know, they were like brilliant magpies and just um, or are brilliant magpies and just able to transform their influences into something that's just is unique. When you and your brother started with the band, were you like consciously working towards that? Like, was that a? Uh, I'm hoping I'm articulating this as well as, but like were you discussing like we want to be these mix of sounds and like, was there like a trial and error of like sort of arriving at that? I think initially there was, there was a big trial and error because we'd been in loads of bands before with together each other. Or, oh, to, yeah. 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 Together. So we, we, so initially we were in a kind of like a blues rock band really, which was uh, a cross between, and it was me, Dave, and Andy Moore, who was who was initially in field music as well, he was the keyboard player, and he was a massive Doors fan. Dave was a massive Black Crows fan, and I was a massive sort of Zeppelin fan. So we used to do these covers of Black. It was basically a covers band: Black Crows, Zeppelin, and the Doors. It could have just been called the the Black Doors Zeppelin or something. Like that. <laughs> And so, yeah, so we would, we were doing that, that sort of thing for a while. And then we thought this is just other people's music. 
And we were trying to write our own songs in that vein as well. And then I think, you know, we, we all discovered other music other than, other than that sort of rock blues thing, really. Um, and then we sort of like splintered away for a while. Dave did his own band called The New Tellers, which I think I was in at some point. I don't know, I was probably in for most of it. Um, and I think that was kind of, I think he was really into Big Star then and My Bloody Valentine. And yeah, I think I think that might have been a big part of what I'm, I'm saying this now and I hope he doesn't hear this and think, you know, Peter, what you're talking about. But that, that was what he was into for, for, for me. I think there was, um, yeah, maybe it's like Jesus and Mary Chain and stuff like that. It was kind of like noisy, um, sonically adventurous um, post-rock, I think. That's what he was kind of trying to do. And I was really into... Um, I did a band called Electronic Eye Machine and I was really into Beck, especially his, his kind of... Um, like that K Records album that he did. You know, it's kind of like Stranger stuff. Um, and I was into... Miles, like 70s Miles Davis stuff, like Bitches Brew and things like that. So I had an idea for like, right, we were going to do a band. It was like a double trio band, which I never realized, but King Crimson had already done it. <laughs> Damn. As you know, I discovered quite a lot. It's like, yeah, uh, King Crimson's already done that, Peter. Oh, okay, right. Why did nobody tell me? Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a, yeah, it, it, it was like two drummers, um, two keyboard players but it was like very symmetrical had to be symmetrical you know I was like I was obsessed obsessed with symmetry <laughs> uh, yeah so that so that's what I that's what I was doing um, and Andy Moore did that as well Andy Moore did a kind of like um, a different kind of band at the time he was doing a sort of a um, it was like a very sort of, it was, I suppose you call it like an acid jazz sort of band. Um, kind of very, very funky. And then we kind of like, kind of got over ourselves a bit when we, by the time we got into our mid twenties and we came back together. Um, and initially we said, let's just jam. So we had like the three of us and we just, I uh, said like, you know, I've got this mood that I would like you to jam in. <laughs> or, it's like, honestly it was so pretentious so pretentious but we had such a laugh doing it and it was like we'd, we had all these like pretentious rules and things like that and then it was like at the end yes but don't forget to rock out as well okay <laughs> were you uh, being ironically pretentious or were you legitimately steeped in pretension no I think I think we were it. we were legitimately pretentious but hidden under under this kind of veil of like taking the piss out of ourselves as well for being pretentious so it was uh, a little bit of both <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah a little bit of both and I think and I think the, the, the first album kind of stemmed from that um, where it was do you know what this idea that we've got let's just make some songs up instead of just jamming and um, but you know we really wanted to try and like make our own type of music. And people have said that before. I think I was quite inspired by maybe like someone like Jack Bruce, where someone said to him, well, why, why did Cream just play blues all the time, 12 bar blues? He's like, well, it, it's really elastic. You know, you can do loads of things with it. But I think, you know, we think Cream made made their own style of music out of their, out of just a simple idea. So I think I was quite taken by that. I, I mean, I still am. So I think that's that's what we kind of wanted to do. I think that's why we called the band Field Music because it didn't sound like a band. You know, pretentiously, I think we wanted to make that our style of music. You know, God, what a bunch of wankers. <laughs> do you feel like you <laughs> sort of have to go through that, like as a young person who wants is striving to be creative, that there sort of has to be that pretentious phase that you go through to sort of... Because I feel like anybody who starts creating is spends the first early chunks of it emulating those that they want to be. 
and with that comes pretension. I think so. Yeah, I think I think so. I think we we did, and I think maybe. I think maybe we still do, you know, a, a little bit. It's like, let's actually pretend. And maybe I think we got co- comfortable about the kind of the the ridiculous notion of pretending that you are something other than you are, you know, like, um, like, like literally like say, like I'm going to pretend to be Richard Thompson on this guitar solo and I get it so wildly wrong. It's just maybe, just maybe something else, you know? Um, and I think there's, I think there's like a good fun to be had in that. And I think that, I think that maybe once you've regained your sense of humor with this, this act of pretentiousness, then maybe, maybe it's not so bad. You know, I think, I think, I think Brian Eno said something along those lines. It's like, well, what, what's wrong with being pretentious? It's like, it's good fun. You know, it can be good fun and it can lead you down ways that you, you didn't know you, 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 you would go. Yeah. I mean, pretentious to me, especially when it's a young person, it's like they're striving to be something more. They're trying, it's not just, it's not settling and being like, oh, just like you're really trying to do something more. Yeah. 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 There's an earnestness there. And I think that's what we had, you know, when we were, um, you know, in our early and mid to mid twenties, I think we had that kind of earnestness about creating like great works of art <laughs> Dear me. I, I feel like you have don't you i mean i, I listen to your songs and i'm like uh, there's i feel like they're ex- like when people say crafts or they're craftsmen and they're really like i feel like you guys really have I, i'm not articulating this i'm a working class boob i'm not <laughs> <laughs> do I really want to be that guy who could just put a string of eloquent words together and sound like a, a goddamn poem, but I can't. I'm not that guy. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You, you, you're the podcaster here. Shouldn't shouldn't you be? I'm going to write lyrics as well, so maybe I should be as well. So I don't know. Maybe <laughs> both in the wrong jobs or something. I don't know. <laughs> But I mean, there's there's such a, your songs are so well crafted and layered and like, I mean, I could listen to them and I'm just I'm literally I'm not kidding you I'm blown away at how great they are. Wow, that's that's high praise. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm an like I just said I'm an idiot. So maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but I. Well. I I mean that doesn't that's that's a lot of work and brilliance in in my opinion it's not something that just comes easily. I th- you know I think me and David are very lucky. I think because a because we're brothers and I think we have the same sort of sense of fun and mischief and playfulness and like maybe the same sense of like you know this needs to be good. You know, let's let's make something that's good, and if it's not good enough, we need to make we need to either make sure it is we can make it good, or we just or we drop it. You know, um, and we're very I think we're very supportive of each other's ideas, um, and we try a lot of things out. I, I think we generally always start from the, the sense of let's make whatever thing we record, let's build it full of performances. Um, and let's start from start from a performance, um, which maybe you like guitar and drums just together, you know. So we do we do a lot of things very like quite quickly, really. Um, and then after that, it's quite often a kind of like, what else can what else can we put on here that might be that might that might work, you know? And I, I think. I think the other thing is because we we don't really have a sense of being cool or anything like that. You know, it's like we literally love our mom and dad's record collections and we love pop music and we love, we love some like quite bad music as well. Um, but I think that, that there's just a lot of material to play with. And I think we have, because we have a similar um, experience with music, we can say, you know, that, you know that keyboard sound on um, um, something like, you know, that Doobie Brothers song? Should we do that? 
yeah, okay. And then you've got an idea and then that thing doesn't fit. But when going into that idea, it, it's, you come up with, you come up with something else. Um, it's, it's like, a, I think we're looking that we've got a shared language and a shared, a common language. I think that is, that is the, the way to explain it. I think. I yeah. Think I, was, really I was thinking about that as you talked is like a lot of people who collaborate together don't have, or it takes years to sort of get that shared language and experience. You know, like you look at a band like the flaming lips, they've been together for so long. It's like, yeah. there's that, this bond and this thing that exists. And it's like, you, I don't know, you guys have a leg up because you, grew up together it's like absolutely absolutely it's a it's yeah does it because you mentioned the doobie brothers it made me think like do as brothers are you conscious of the well i don't think the doobie brothers are actually brothers but i'm (laughs) 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 they're brothers and doobies brothers and doobies doobies, you know (laughs) it might feel like you're brothers after a few doobies but you're not guys but uh, uh, do brothers, you know, like, and do you as brothers have doobies? Do you do you and you? Uh, we've we've never shared a doobie together. <laughs> do you think that's a new phase in your music, sharing doobies together? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I I don't think Dave's got time for that at the moment. <laughs> I think we're still, I mean, we initially started the band and we were like, right, all we're going to do is drink so much coffee that we're just, we're going to get our ideas from coffee. Like coffee was going to be our drug, basically. And uh, it really didn't work to begin with because we drank so much coffee that we just like, we couldn't do, like literally couldn't do anything. It was just, we were too, too wired. Had to go like run around the, run around the block just to kind of... (laughs) Get rid of the caffeine rush. Anyway, I've lost where I was there. Sorry. Oh no, it, I, that just made me think about the uh, Fleetwood Mac. I'm like, how did they create music when they were just coked to the gills for like a decade? Like, I, I've done coke and I couldn't fucking get anything done. Uh, no, it's just uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it must work. Like certain things must work for certain people. Where, I mean. Yeah, I mean, Lindsay, you know, like Lindsay Buckingham was like un, unreal on whatever he was having. Uh, <laughs> just get him, we should start a petition, you know, get him back on whatever he was having in 90. Get him back. I mean, I, I was thinking about doing that with Oasis as well, like sort of like, right, we need to get Oasis back on the door. <laughs> back, uh, back on cheap lager. And cigarettes, get them back together and get them make make another great album. Did you is it does other brother bands enter into your psyche at all as a band? Like oh, we're like the like the Davies Brothers or the Brothers Gibb or the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> um, Not really. No, not, not, not at all, actually. I mean, some, you know, people have, have you know, have sort of commented on, on other brother bands. And, um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I, I love the Bee Gees. Dave, I know Dave loves, loves the Bee Gees as well. Um, and I think they had something really special. Um, you know, almost like when, even when they made a song that was not necessarily to my taste, you know, one of the lesser songs or whatever, I don't know. It's not for me to comment on that really, but they always sounded amazing. They just sounded amazing. Yeah. Who were some of the, like the harmonies that you guys do? Were there specific, who were the influences on, on you guys harmonically? Um, like vocal harmonies. Yeah. Um, I mean, number one would definitely be the Beatles. Without, without a doubt. Um, I still can't quite believe how, how good they sound. They just sound th- like three very individual voices. Yeah, when you put them together... And they could just sing anything. 
you know, uh, um, I mean, I think I think poor George would have been a great singer in any other band, but but like, he, and he had a lot of competition with just the the the, the range, you know, of different things they could do like t- together as a. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's hard it's hard to get. Yeah, I suppose we we listen to them loads as kids, you know, so it's kind of hard to get over them, you know. And sometimes, you know, I th- but I think one of the things, the other things that the, the Beatles did was that when they sung harmonies, it wasn't like there was a lead vocal and then the other vocals were kind of down in the bottom. Sometimes when they did harmonies, it was like every vocal was like the same level, you know, and I think a lot of that's them singing around the same mic. So um, I think we were quite influenced by that idea. So a lot of the backing vocals, for instance, we did a lot of like singing around the same mic. And then and then and then um, Daryl Hall and John Oates as well. Um, we kind of rediscovered them, you know, when when we stopped being cool. And then we we went to see them live with with my with my, our parents and my mum especially loved loved Hall and Oates. So we took mum to see Hall and Oates. And we I think we saw them in maybe two thousand and three or two thousand four, and they were just astonishing it's like wow you guys can sing yeah it's it's a lot of the people i know who are musicians really look up to them and it's it did it seems like they had that phase where they kind of went away and people were like "Eh, hollow notes and now it's like people are like no hollow notes are great (laughs) it's like we were all wrong in that era of "Eh." yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, i'm more than happy to be proved wrong about anything like that just like bring it on I'd love to rediscover old things that, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been wrong with so, so many, so many things and continue to be. And, uh, I've, I've actually been going back and listening to stuff from my, what I thought was great or sucked in my early twenties to see if, if I was actually wrong or right. And I've been incredibly wrong. Yeah, me too. Who are some of the folks that you were like, like a lot of that 90s hard stuff like i was just like yeah man i'm an angry young man and these guys speak my language and now i'm like oh this is bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's the, 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 there, there's some things i'm just like I, I, i'm not really fussed about this anymore and i think it was i think it was mainly when i was trying to be contemporary in the late late 90s really and trying to Buy the records that I, I that I that I should have. Yeah, it's like, and now I don't even know where those records are anymore. <laughs> no, they're in the where where CDs go to die. <laughs> um, uh, this is totally out of selfishness, but how did the Terrapin Sid Barrett cover come about? Because I love that song, and the first time I heard your guys' rendition of it, it's so wildly different and full that it took me a minute to figure out that it was, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. This is Sid Barrett. Like it took, um, but I was just like to hear because his version is so glum and, (laughs) you know, Sid Barrett. And then to hear it like fully realized with harmonies and like, and to be honest, it's been in my head the entire time we've been talking. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I was pleased with that one and it came about, because uh, the, the, um, the Mojo magazine uh, quite often do cover mounts, cover mount CDs, and it's like, okay, let's do one on Sid Barrett. Um, so who's going to play, who can we get to play this Sid Barrett cover? And I think, you know, I think we're fa- fairly reliable at things like that. And, and it, it, it is an opportunity for us to say, okay, we've got this Sid Barrett song, what do we do with it? So let's... Let, I, I remember saying to Dave, let, let's just pretend with the who. And uh, so, you know, and we weren't, you know, it didn't sound like the who at all, but it's like, it just gives you a starting point. Like, let's pretend with the who, doing a cover version of, of Terrapin. And then we just went went from there. So Dave got his SG out. I tried not to use too many hi-hats and play <laughs> loads of toms. And uh, I think Dave had an easier job than me. <laughs> I was on the drums for that one, so he had an easier job. And uh, yeah, and that was it really. And then we just whatever made sense from there. We just we just went for it. It's such a great like it's 
I just I love it so much. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I can't I can't remember what it was like really now. I think it starts with a kind of fill. And I think it was I think I was trying to do one of those left-handed fills that Ringo does, you know. because um, he's left-handed but he plays right-handed so he, all his fills are kind of weird and wrong. Yet brilliant. Um sorry Ringo, peace and love. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I think I started with 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 the Ringo Phil. Do you think Ringo gets a? Because I feel like some people shit on Ringo as a drummer, and I don't like. There's a couple, a couple Beatles songs where, I, like, some of his drumming is my all time favorite drumming, like Rain being one. Yeah, yeah, I think any anything from. A, I mean, I I just, I just think anything he played just had personality to it, just like total. Nobody sounds like Ringo. No, nobody, and people have tried. God knows they've tried. You know, I mean, Jeff Lynne just try tries that sort of thing all the time. You know, it seems to me, and it's like loads of people try and do that Ringo feel, Ringo beat. Um, Tears for Fears did it on that on the Seeds of Love album, wasn't it? Um, and hey, everyone should attempt it because it's it's really fun. But no one will ever sound like Ringo. No, no way. Personality, that's what it's all about. In the early days of your band, people would throw <laughs> money at bands, and then we've gone through this arc where now people record at home and like the whole the whole it's changed so drastically in in this that yeah. time frame. Yeah, I mean I, I remember with our first album, our label said, Well, there's this thing come out called MySpace. Um, and you could put a few tracks on. Um and people can just listen to it for free. And I just thought, what? Really? Nah, we're not doing that. MySpace. Don't, that's, that's just not going to catch on. I'm, I'm sorry. And then, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and now we're in this position. Um, and it, I suppose it, it, it's got to go away. That's the kind of the nature of digital content. It's like you can't, you can't, like, own ones and zeros, man. <laughs> I, I feel like, I don't know, I hope it shifts or at least they pay what they should, but it's just, it's maddening to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, how, I don't know how that <clears throat> gets solved other than sort of a, I don't know. Uh, there's corporations being kind or governments doing something about it. Um, Here, it's it's going to have to be a it's going to have to be the government or I kidnap the CEO of Spotify, which is something I'm really leaning heavily towards. You could try, but but he lives in a big uh, gold house somewhere, doesn't he? So you'd have to kind of figure out of melt, melting the door away. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you very much for your time. Great, thanks, Matt. listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening